Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do Native Americans believe in miniature people? Did Native Americans also witness UFOs? Is North Carolina a paranormal hotspot? Greetings and welcome to the 595th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those curious questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening uh, is a guest new to the show, and she brings a new perspective on an interesting region. And we welcome your calls this evening. The numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor emails. That's paul at behindtheparanormal.com for emails. And don't forget about our Facebook page. Mary A. Joyce has been a writer, columnist, artist, and editor for two major metropolitan newspapers. Mary is the author of Cherokee Little People Were Real and four other books. She also has written a number of magazine articles. Her website is skyshipovercashiers.com. Skyshipovercashiers.com. Cashiers is a town in North Carolina and does not refer to anything financial as far as I'm aware. This is a town full of cashiers. So, Mary Joyce, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. I enjoyed that commercial just before we came on uh, about the seafood up there. sounded delicious. Oh, oh we, okay, we yeah. have very, many, many delicious seafood uh, restaurants around here. We do indeed. Ben started tucking into lobsters at the age of four, and I was deeply impressed. Wow. <laughs> wow. Right. Oh, my cholesterol hasn't been the same since. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but notice that the title of your book is Cherokee Little People Were Real, and now they are not, apparently. So what were these little people? And do they no longer exist? Uh, they still, it, according to the Cherokee, there are still some that live in remote areas of the reservation. Uh, what I did with the book was I interviewed people who had found tangible evidence that they really did exist. And where, when they were building Western Carolina University, uh, supposedly on virgin land, they found these little tunnels that were square cut with rounded uh, tops uh, that just were a, a vast network throughout the... Wherever they dug, they would run into them. Uh, they also found uh, some little skeletons. Uh, one uh, sticks in my mind because there was a skull of it, which they said was a child, and it sat on a science professor's desk for a long, long time. And one day, another teacher came by and picked it up and looked at it real closely and said, this isn't a child's skull. It has all of its wisdom teeth. And as you know, you have to be, uh, you know, about 18 or older to have wisdom teeth. Mm -hmm. And what I did was, uh, by interviewing these people who had actually seen things like this during the construction, um, it, it actually gave a boost to the Native Americans, who for many years were uh, kind of dismissed uh, with the stories of the little people. Uh, well, may I may I ask which reservation are you referring to? Uh, it's technically not a reservation. It's an independent nation, and it's it's uh, in Cherokee, um, which is adjacent to the uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I uh, see in North Carolina. Okay, correct. And I understand the Cherokees uh, were the first to have a written language of their own yeah. by 1835, I believe. That's correct. And um, was there any writing done about these uh, these little people at any point? Uh, the reason I did the book was because the only information was from the uh, uh, old-timers in this area 
and it was just a oral tradition, so the oral, tradition. oral information. Okay. And right. when I realized nobody had done anything about it, nobody had recorded it, that's when I decided to uh, do the interviews, do the transcripts, and put the book together. Okay, very interesting. We, uh, I just, we, this is off topic, but the Western North Carolina, I believe, is is the location of the Eno River. <laughs> we oh. always always get a kick out of that. Um, but that refers not not to Ben and myself. Um, they haven't named any rivers after us yet. But the uh, the the Eno tribe, I believe, which was a branch of the Cherokee, it's now extinct, uh, as if I'm not mistaken. And I wondered. Uh, was there any variation, any relationship between the Enos, as it were, and some of these legends? Uh, I actually don't know anything about it. You've just told me stuff I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's, that was my understanding, not being a North Carolinian. However, to get back to our topic, um, the, the entire idea of fairies, as it were, and Ben has pointed out rather wisely in the past that the word fairy um, in itself will inspire disbelief. Or even or like leprechaun, leprechaun, or, or, yes. or any any. Of these well, I had a case once really. where the man actually speculated uh, learnedly about leprechauns many years ago. Anyway, yeah, you never know. The the entire notion of little people, of course, goes far beyond the Cherokees and and uh, North Carolina. Uh, when we do mention these things on the show, people invariably write in in droves, talking about legends of little people or not legends, but, but experiences of little people that they themselves had, and it does seem to depend very often on their nationality and it's really true at least in our experience that the irish tend to run into little people uh i ran into some in puerto rico of all places and uh so the the, this is a a short trip around a long a long trip around a short barn as, as i as i might say but you have um tied into a tradition that is uh native american it is indigenous and I'm wondering, how does the native understanding of the little people compare with, say, those of the Irish or other areas of, of the world? Are there similarities? Are there differences? Or have you well, researched that? Um, the area here in the mountains of western North Carolina has a lot of mysteries. And one of them is that there's three descriptions of little people. Uh, one was that they, uh, when the Cherokee first came here from the Great Lakes region, uh, they found these little well-tended gardens, but they didn't see any people. And eventually they would see these uh, little people come out from beneath the ground, tend the gardens by the light of the moon, and then take the uh, vegetables and so forth beneath the ground. Hmm. Uh, so originally they were called uh, moon people by the Cherokee, and they were described as having kind of blue-tinted skin with larger eyes. Now that's one description. Another description... Uh, is very much like a leprechaun, say, that there were uh, ones that had red whiskers and, and simply looked like leprechauns. Hmm. We, uh, one of the old-timers I interviewed uh, actually had found a medallion when there was a major, major flood here, when lots of soil was washed away. And it had a leprechaun-type face on each side of it, and it was washed up from, uh, you know, very ancient land. Uh, the Cherokee also apparently did not like the little people with the red whiskers, and they would try to kill them. And some of our moonshiners back in the 1930s uh, came upon a pile of these little bones when they were building a still, and they didn't tell anybody about it until much later because during Prohibition they didn't want anyone to know where their setup was. And uh, 
So that's that's uh, two different kinds, and the most common description are little people that look very much like the Cherokee look today. That's the most common description. How interesting! And the uh, the Cher- some of the Cherokees I've talked to say that uh, uh, they some of them will actually put food out for them on a regular basis. Yeah, that's what we hear from listeners who are from of European descent as well as uh, the people in Puerto Rico. And if they don't get fed on time, they'll have pebbles dropped on their roof. So, uh, <laughs> Interesting. Uh, it's, uh, Reminiscent quite, of the poltergeist. Yeah, it, well, I, I think they're a little bit more uh, friendly than that. Well, I hope so, <laughs> having tangled with uh, with several poltergeists. All right, um, uh, I know that when we originally set up this appointment, or, you know, this interview, that we were going to talk just about the Cherokee, but can I share some uh, uh, breaking news with our uh, website? Oh, by all means, of, Mary, by all means. I'm doing. Um, I have a brand new book that just came out, and it's called uh, Underground Military Bases Hidden in the North Carolina Mountains. Hmm. And again, I don't start out to write books, but when I find out information that nobody has written about, and I feel like it's important, that's the point when I decide to do a book. And uh, because of the website and people who would make contact with me because of the website, uh, I learned about five different uh, secret bases here in the mountains. And what's interesting about it is that they're all under major tourist attractions. There's one under the Smoky Mountain National Park, one under Mount Mitchell, which is the tallest mountain east of the Mississippi. There's one in the Linville Gorge. There's one near um, Devil's Courthouse, which is on the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway. And there's one under a place called Sugarloaf Mountain, which is near Chimney Rock State Park. Um, the stories are uh, quite astounding. And uh, if anybody, you know, people, at least some of your listeners would know about the underground facilities uh, beneath Area 51 and yeah, I've been the there. Western States. But, you know, it, you would be hard-pressed to find somebody who knows about the ones you know, right here in the Eastern Mountains. No, we definitely like, like to talk about that because we're, we're, we talk about a case in Connecticut we're researching that involves what apparently is just such a thing. There was excavation, very, very strange things going on, and we're still researching it. And the, someone wrote a book about it already, which is coming out in, uh, next month. But, uh, no, we're very interested in that. So l- let me finish up with the little people, then, and, and I want to get into some of the other legends there and into some of the bases because that's of great interest, interest to us. Uh, on the issue, just uh, has it when it comes to these little gardens that the Cherokee reported that the little people were uh, raising, were and this is a, an odd question, but it struck me when I saw your, your comment on this. Were the vegetables of normal size, or did anyone notice? Uh, nobody ever made a comment about it. I would think they would have if they were extraordinarily large or small. Uh, yeah, because one I thinks would assume of uh, that they were normal size. Uh, just because it's never been mentioned. Okay, because one thinks of, thinks of four-foot-long zucchinis or gigantic gourds. No, and things. I haven't, haven't heard anything like that. Okay, it might be something to keep an eye out for. Okay. Um, okay, on the issue of um, the, the, the skulls and little skeletons and things, did anyone ever carbon date those? Uh, we get into a whole interesting situation when you begin to deal with the academic world. Uh, Tell me finds, about it. The finds that we uh, have, you know, that I talk about in the book are at Western Carolina University here in the mountains. And what happens with universities is that they want to build their buildings and they don't want to have to stop construction. So they actually would have people take 
the little bones and stuff that they would find and carry them off to uh, off campus to an ATV trail and rebury them because they didn't want to have to stop their building project. That's illegal. Uh-huh, right. So that's, that's one reason. The other reason is that uh, the academic world doesn't like the status theories or the status quo theories uh, to be disrupted. Well, that's for darn sure. And you find that as far up as the Smithsonian. You know, yep. thank God there's been some books that have come out uh, about the fact that they have been hiding these uh, uh, giant skeletons that have been found all over the country uh, simply because it didn't fit into the preconceived idea of what the history of mankind is. Mm-hmm. So those are two things that we've run into. I did, after the book come out, uh, talk to somebody who had graduated from the anthropology department and uh, uh, said that some of those skeletons were still in the forensic lab, but, you, you know, the, you can't get to it mm-hmm. unless you're a, an advanced student. And that there also are uh, some giant skeletons in the forensic lab that also have uh, unusual feet. They have six toes. <laughs> I've heard so, of those, yeah. And so here we go. Um, you know, fascinating history is being uh, denied, you know, to the public. Uh, and that infuriates me. I've got, I, I'm friends with several scientists. Actually, I know quite a few more, and uh, there are some people who are calling for openness, but they probably, you know, it's, it's, in a way, it's a religion like any other. It takes faith because of the epistemology is questionable now, especially in the light of quantum mechanics, so, but that's another issue. Anyway, but uh, thank you for that information. Mary, did the Cherokees have a name for these little people? I'll tell you uh, why I ask in a minute. Yes, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay, the, I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> We're always coming up with things, particularly oriental medicine that I can't pronounce. But uh, near us here in New England is the uh, Wampanoag, one of the Wampanoag uh, areas, uh, the Wampanoag tribe in the Freetown State Forest in Massachusetts. And they they are occasionally plagued by what they they refer to as, well, not necessarily, they, they say it's not one of their words, but they're known locally as Pukwudgies. And they also are little people, and we've talked to eyewitnesses and things of this kind. So uh, I just wondered if there was a name such as the Pukwudgies or whatever. I mean, it doesn't sound native to me, but that's, that's what people call them. Well, uh, we have a rock here. Uh, the English word is Judicola rock, and it has uh, petroglyphs all over it, and it's, hmm. a very, it's a large rock, about 15 by 20 feet. And nobody can figure out what these mean, all these uh, markings on the stone. Uh, it predates the Cherokee, so they have no idea of what it means. People speculate that it might have been uh, the little people that did it because it's in an area where they are found. But to make to point out another mystery in this area, uh, Judicoa is a giant in legends of the Cherokee. Well, I have interviewed uh, people who have seen Bigfoot not far from where that Judicola rock is. Ah. My own theory is that maybe Judicola was inspired by the Bigfoot. Could be. And there still are Bigfoot here. So we have underground facilities, we have Bigfoot, we have little people, we have UFOs. Uh, it's just quite a intriguing place. Yeah, never a dull moment in North Carolina. Eh? Yeah, indeed. What other are there fairy legends as there, such? There, there are, but I have only dealt with what I call uh, 
real little people mm -hmm. uh, typically would be uh, reported to be uh, three to three and a half feet tall. Okay. And that's probably accurate because most of the tunnels that have been found are uh, about three and a half feet tall. Oh, all right. Interesting. Okay. And they're all made out of this real dense red clay, and it, they have square bottoms and sides, and then the top of it is arched. And, you know, I'm sure you know that within engineering, that makes the uh, tunnel stronger. That's right. That's right. Uh, also, for our local listeners uh, here in uh, northern Rhode Island, southeastern Massachusetts, there is a uh, an Audubon property of a number of uh, lovely acres in western Rhode Island, Foster, town of Foster called Parker Woodland, and in Parker Woodland are stone chambers, very much like the ones Mary is describing, and uh, th that's always a very interesting uh, experience to go and see those. So um, I, I'm also interested in uh, UFO connections here, possibly, Mary, and uh, what, can you first of all tell us, everybody's familiar with the Brown Mountain, well, not everybody, but the Brown Mountain Lights and things of this kind, I believe that's in the same area. Is that in western North Carolina? It is. It would be probably uh, about two hours from uh, Cashier. Okay. So could you talk about some of those strange lights and the UFO sightings? Uh, were there any reported by the natives, or were there uh, legends that would reflect uh, ufology, as we would call it today? Well, the, uh, one of the people I interviewed for the Cherokee Little People or Real Book, uh, at the time I only knew her as Ruth Beck, but she... Uh, I found out much later, was the great-great-granddaughter of Sally, who was a Cherokee hero. And she said the little people were from the stars, which is not totally out of line because the Cherokee themselves believed that way back they originated from the Pleiades. Yes. So yeah. um, they, they believe in UFOs and they believe in, you know, life on other star systems. And, and uh, so that's not a foreign concept to, the, to them at all. So tell us, if you would, about the sky ships. That's a term that crops up in, in this subject here in North Carolina. We didn't want to use the term UFOs because technically a UFO is an un unidentified flying object. And when you can clearly see something, uh, you begin to, you know, uh, you, want to, you want to call it something else. And we have seen all sorts of different kinds of UFOs in this area, uh, the kind that you would expect. Uh, but more recently, we've had some that are uh, uh, very strange because they look like asteroids. But they are. You know, they, they I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Look like they, what, please? They, they look like asteroids. They asteroids. Look like big okay. old rocks. All right. And uh, we've gotten pictures of them. Uh, and if anybody goes to the website, and again, it's skyshipsovercashers.com, mm -hmm. and look under skyship photos, which is one of the headings, uh, you can see pictures of the asteroid-type UFOs, and you can also begin to scroll through it and see many other kinds. But that was the reason the website started, because we saw so many of them. And then as we began to realize that uh, there's a whole lot of uh, cutting-edge information that comes out of these mountains, and so the uh, website has expanded far beyond that. Okay. Why the mountains, Mary? Why, I mean, why, why not the plains or whatever they mean? I know Western North well, Carolina I, is very mountainous. There's, prob there's probably multiple reasons. Uh, one would be that, like in Cashers, there is a mountain there, uh, and there's other mountains, too, that are crystalline. Oh. And, and crystals, as you know, uh, you know, are used in uh, 
computers and all sorts of different things, and they have an electrical energy to them. Um, our understanding is that they could be used as uh, omnis. Hmm. So that's okay. Know, well, no, that, that makes a great deal. So also, um, and we have lots of natural underground caves. So when we talk about uh, underground facilities, I think some of those facilities could be simply expansions of existing. Uh, natural cave. Okay. Yeah, I did, I did want to talk about that after the break, but we get about another five minutes. But before we get to that, uh, the issue of what these light, strange lights are, whether they be skyships or whatever you want to call them, there's the notion, and of course, paranormal research. Everybody's excited about orbs. You know, when they say, "Oh, they're spirits," and I'm, eh, I'm not so sure about that. I don't think that that's the case. Ben, any comment on the? Yes, I, I think the the definition of orb uh, needs to be further defined. The, the orbs of light that you see near the, the, the ground, um, I believe that they're uh, spirits. And one of the pictures we had on the website years ago was of a meditation, a uh, large group meditation in one of the uh, Pacific Islands. And you could just see more you, you know, of these orbs than you could ever imagine hovering over these people. So that's one kind. And then other people use the term orb to simply refer to uh, globe, uh, round-shaped UFOs mm-hmm. that would be high up in the sky. So I think there's two phenomena. Well, yes, I think, well, I don't think it's an open question, certainly. I, th- I think, personally, that orbs may be living things, because we find them in paranormal situations where we believe that world boundaries are intersecting, because we, we t- lean more on quantum mechanics than we do spiritualism for our own paranormal work over the years. And uh, so, But again, that's one theory. We, I, I think they might be living things that feed around those boundaries. Uh, among, you know, and then there are other explanations for other kinds. In, in ufology now, as they call it, there, are, uh, there seems to be a trend, and, and this is from Ted Phillips in Missouri, who's a guy who keeps an eye on all this sort of stuff, that there's more of a tendency uh, away from metallic vehicles with legs and that sort of thing, landing and all this business, toward more ethereal, orb-like things that, that may be ships, or may be living things in themselves, or may be probes. And all, you know, it just really depends on whoever you're talking to about this. So such as something such as the Brown Mountain Lights, Mary, what would you say? So you would think these were, would be living things as well, or spirits, whatever that may mean. I, uh, they don't seem to fall into the category of a UFO. Right. And they seem to pop out of the, uh, the ground. They'll pop up oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been reported in this area before the time of automobiles and electricity. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that can be explained away by... Uh, things that would be, of, you know, conventional, modern things. Where would uh, you... Okay. Go ahead. No, I say, uh, where would you draw the line between an orb, such as you've just described, and a UFO or something with extraterrestrial connotations? Or would they all be possibly connected somehow? Well, they might all possibly be connected, but personally I think that there is an intelligence that goes along with the smaller orbs that you see close. Yeah, I've seen them act intelligently. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's intelligence there. They follow okay. you around. They, they, they seem to have almost like moods. It's very <laughs> strange. Well, people have also, you know, uh, like said things to them and they've responded. Yes, that's right. So you don't get that as much, though you can, you don't get it as much with UFOs 
that are flying way up there. Right, right, true. Okay, well, why don't we take our break, everybody. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our really interesting guest, Mary Joyce. We're going to talk about secret bases, so stick with us. Hi, I'm Bob Vila, and I'm going to level with you. I've got your home improvement tip of the day right here. The Bob Vila Home Improvement Tip of the Day can be heard every day on ON1240, WON Woonsocket Radio at 745. And it's brought to you by DNS Painting of Woonsocket. They are Rhode Island's trusted choice for residential painting. And we wanted to just remind you of a few of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, many of them are veteran-related. Uh, certainly have... Uh, BuildersHelpingHeroes.org, that's a local charity here in Rhode Island, that helps those who are uh, have been wounded in, in uh, the service of our country or their families, and it helps them literally with re- remodeling and construction and things of this kind. A few years ago, they I was privileged to be there when they opened it, was a, uh, a lovely house built for a Marine who had lost both legs in Afghanistan, and they were ju- he and his wife were just about to have a baby, so it was perfect timing out in Burlville, Rhode Island. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our friends and relatives to the north uh, who have stood with us in this war on terror. And also, out in Los Angeles, Youth Mentoring Connection. Uh, it's youthmentoring.org. Tony LaRay out there doing wonderful things for at-risk youth in the Los Angeles area by using indigenous wisdom. and Nothing crazy, nothing occult about it, but good old-fashioned down-home wisdom from the indigenous peoples of North and South America which are really inspiring young people out there. Fantastic, very unusual, great job. So check that out and donate if you can, youthmentoring.org. So let's get back to our discussion with author and researcher Mary Joyce from North Carolina, having a fascinating discussion this evening about phenomena in western North Carolina. And Mary, before we burn up this hour, which we're doing rather quickly, tell us again about your website and your books and where people can find out more about you. And there would be information on the books uh, in there under the editor's corner. So you can find things if you can't remember everything I'm saying. Uh, one of the books is titled Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Another one is Cherokee Little People Were Real. Again, it's available on Amazon. And a third book is Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us to Find. And what I've done is I've been a bridge between the archaeologists and the scientists uh, to present in a very uh, palatable way uh, information that goes way beyond what is in the Bible. So you're a real Renaissance person, a number of different subjects you've written about here. I was born with a huge curiosity. And oh, as was I. So I oh, I my just, goodness. I just keep exploring. That, that, that's, we consider ourselves uh, cosmic sojourners and explorers, you know, so that's great. Okay, so let's talk about some of these military bases. Now, again, it sounds crazy. It sounds paranoid. We're, we're generally not conspiracy theorists, although I think lately I'm getting there. But, you know, if I hadn't seen some of this stuff with my own eyes, and I was involved in military intelligence to a, to a minor degree when I was in the service, but, you know, you kind of pick up a nodding acquaintance with what, what's going on in some ways, uh, not uh, extreme secrets because it's need to know only, but nevertheless, you see how things kind of work and that, that sort of thing. So that being said, let, let me bounce a theory off you and see what you think of this as to why the military would be involved in some of this. From our experience, 
and from our point of view, we're dealing, as I said, with multiple worlds here. And that explains, I think, a lot of the things in the paranormal, things come and go. It's an open system, and quantum mechanics will define this in various ways, whether it's the hologram or the multiple worlds interpretation, whatever. But that's essentially the basis. Now, the thing is that how would they research this? Because wouldn't we love to weaponize this? So maybe they have to go where the intersects are taking place in areas where there are paranormal flaps, as one might say, and we're researching several places like that right now, uh, particularly one in Connecticut near us, not too far from us compared with some of the other areas. And we're seeing uh, there was military activity and all sorts of, you know, poltergeists, Bigfoot, UFOs all taking place in the same area. And William J. Hall will be on in a few weeks. His new book is being released next month on that subject. So, Mary, um, what say you? I mean, is, is that... What, might that be a reason why there's military activity of that kind, if you're correct, in the mountains of western North Carolina? They're researching this for possible use in some way? Um, I don't think that's the primary thing, but I do okay. think there is an interaction uh, with our military, with some aspects of our military and with some aspects of the UFO phenomena. Go ahead and explain. And we see uh, uh, or get many reports of UFOs being near... Uh, some of these underground bases. Uh, there's one uh, where, uh, you know, UFOs have been seen going in and out of a lake that's just west of one of the facilities. Uh, but I don't think that's the only thing going on. Uh, the most recent, uh, well, let me tell you why I even began to be open to this idea. When I first moved here in 1998, uh, it wasn't too long after that that uh, hikers and campers and hunters began to tell me about seeing foreign troops in the forest here, or in this area. And they would see Germans, and they would see uh, Russians, and they would see United Nations. And the question always was, why are they out there doing military maneuvers on our land, is the way that the people would think. Well, I think I can explain that, but go ahead. Well, I might be able to, too, because after I did, did some research on that, our country signed a treaty back in 1972 called the World Heritage Treaty. And we relinquished the control of some of our national parks and forests uh, to the United Nations. Well, I, I don't think that's quite accurate, but, but go ahead and finish. It is, it is fair. I mean, I checked it out. It is a real reality. Uh, and I've got that in the book about the underground bases. And one of the men who was a whistleblower for the site beneath the, uh, Mount Mitchell uh, says that that is an uh, underground U.N., uh, place, and he was in charge of a squad of people doing surveillance on this in this area, and they saw uh, UN uh, soldiers uh, placing uh, sensors throughout the forest around that mountain. They also saw um, in the middle of the night uh, tanks being unloaded from a train. Uh, in Marion, which is east of Mount Mitchell. And then those tanks were put on trucks and taken up to the top of Mount Mitchell, and then they disappeared. And they never saw, even though the whole mountain was being uh, surveilled, they never saw those trucks come down. And this man, this whistleblower, um, said that the entrance to the facility, the U.N. facility uh, beneath that mountain, is so well camouflaged that it looks like uh, part of the mountain, 
So there's something else going on besides just trying to, you know, uh, work yeah. out a deal with the UFOs. Well, I, yeah, I, I, you know more about it than I do, but and I, and I respect your you're a very articulate uh, guest, and I respect uh, what you say. And anything is possible. I mean, we know that better than anybody. Uh, on the face of it, though, I would have to say, as you know, from my military experience, UN troops train all over the world, and you, there are no UN troops as such, as far as I know. They're all from different countries who contribute them to peacekeeping missions. Because I know, I they call them they, they call them blue hats. Yes, they uh, all wear well, blue, blue Yeah, blue berets. Because I was involved. Well, I was. I knew a lot of people in the Canadian forces, and they were heavily involved in that bef- before Afghan. Well, even now. So uh, I mean, they, they have to train somewhere, and it's it's normal for European troops and troops from NATO to train in the United States. Although usually it's in designated training areas at, at recognized military bases. So it is odd that people. And I'd like to know how they knew what nationalities they were. Russians being. Well, some of be, them actually heard them speak. Well, how did they know? Well, uh, Americans are not very good linguists. How do they know it was Russia? I mean, every, the others well, are very believable. Whether, whether it's Russians Russian or, or whether it's German or, or whether, you know, what it is, yeah. it definitely was a, a Slavic uh, language and was not English. Well, so, it might have been know, Polish because the Poles are involved in right, that. Right, and yeah. it doesn't really matter. They're foreign yeah. troops, and that was what was the Well, thing. it would bother me if they were Russians, I mean, you know. But in any case, uh, be that as it may, uh, you may very well be right. Uh, We hear a lot of these things. Had I not seen military activity in odd places myself over the years, I would be more skeptical. But again, we we always have to be somewhat skeptical. What what have you seen yourself? Well, let let me give you uh, something else that uh, needs to be brought into this. Sure. Uh, We've had, uh, again, uh, mostly uh, military people. Uh, or former military people who have been the whistleblowers on these uh, these bases. Yeah. And there is, uh, they've heard, and many people have heard, uh, underground sounds, pounding sounds, uh, uh, grinding sounds, different, you know, major earth-type machinery uh, uh, beneath these places. Um, also, they've seen uh, park rangers at the Smoky Mountain National Park carrying... Uh, machine guns. Um, there are many places that are restrictive where you know where people have been able to go before that they can't go anymore. They have now made that park a no-fly zone. They say it's because they don't want the uh, elk population to be disturbed because they've been rebuilding that that uh, species in the mountains, and. Uh, uh, which is, in my idea, uh, bogus because right next to a major visitor center on a major road through the park, you always see elk in the evening. Uh, so it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but there's a lot of stories like that. And, well, for example, the, the man who uh, uh, told us about the Mount Mitchell, Mount Mitchell facility, um, he was cleared by the FBI and Army Intelligence. That's the reason they put him on that that uh, that mission. Uh, so we're not talking about just you know some little pirate, you know, private someplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, w- w- have you seen any of this yourself? I have. I have seen. Um, uh, well, one example that comes to mind right now is for two years they blocked the road that was closest to where this facility in the Smoky Mountain National Park is located. And I have been up there, and I have witnessed that it is closed off. Um, uh, I have 
obviously talked to a lot of people who have lived in that area or camped in that area who have reported the sound. I have not heard the sound, but uh, uh, the first one who told me about that kind of thing was a, uh, a sheriff deputy. Okay. And he was at the uh, Devil's Courthouse on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and he loved to go with his Corvette at night and drive the parkway with his top down. And he stopped in the parking lot there, and he began to hear and feel things. And he put his ear up to one of the rocks, and he said, you could hear, uh, you know, machinery uh, coming from beneath the ground. Mm -hmm. And supposedly there's nothing there. Yeah. Uh, we also got uh, a report from a man with, uh, definitely with high security clearance, because he was so careful about the way he presented the information to us. And he said that the that one of the facilities is six stories deep, city size, totally self-sufficient with water and electricity and all of that. And uh, I think a lot of things go on at that site. It's called the Perry site, and it's in the. Uh, it's actually too complicated to go into right now, but it's uh, along the Balsam Ridge, not too far from Devil's Courthouse. All right. Uh, do, do you? Uh, I might want to talk to you about that name later. <laughs> Do you feel that, well, what do you feel is the bottom line here? I mean, what's going on? How many bases are there, and what do you think is going on there? I mean, that sounds pretty huge. Well, there's, there's, there's evidence that, and that there are connecting, almost like a connecting subway uh, beneath the ground that goes, uh, like a subway system that goes all the way up to uh, uh, Washington, D.C. through the Appalachian Mountains. Oh, uh, that's a lot of engineering. Well, it's amazing what they can do. They, uh, yeah, that's true. They, the, the boring equipment they have, which would be as big as a train, uh, can clear seven miles in a day. And uh, some of the regular people who aren't military have reported those grinding uh, mechanical sounds beneath their homes that will only last for a while, and then they stop, mm -hmm. which kind of gives some support to the idea that there is a tunnel network uh, that's being created. For what uh, purpose, do you think? Well, for a lot, well, well, for example, the oldest uh, secret facility is up uh, in uh, West Virginia along the Virginia border, and it's an old hotel uh, which has now been made public because it's so out of date. Yeah, but it was created as a place of safety in case there was a nuclear war. That's a fact. Yes. That's a fact. That's a fact. And so I think that that still is an aspect of some of these underground facilities. They have a very good golf course there, actually. <laughs> yes, I haven't played it, but um, yeah. But uh, no, I mean, it's what you say. I mean, certainly, you know, we don't know for sure, but it, it's entirely possible. It's a very definite, definite possibility. Um, let me suggest some possible. Um, reasons for this. Uh, there is, of course, I already have, we've, Ben and I would suggest maybe they're doing research and this kind of thing uh, as we they are. To have they're, found they're doing, one of the people, again, with the high security connections, said that there is, uh, they have the ability to wipe out human memory, that they have, they are doing uh, psychological uh, experiments. Uh, one of the early reports came from uh, a man, but when he was younger, had worked on a tree farm not too far from one of the facilities, and they, they were seeing animals in cages taken inside this facility. 
which implies that some of this experimentation indeed was going on. Um, so, you know, there's, I don't know. I, I think there's well, more than one we, reason for things. We, we've been hearing about memory and, and behavioral experiments, things of that kind. But you know, but that that can be done without huge city-sized bases. That's correct. Uh, I've also heard that there is some cooperation going on between extraterrestrials or and or extra-dimensionals with human beings, although I don't understand why they would need to engage in some sort of cooperation with us. I mean, I should think we'd be sort of primitives, morally, spiritually, and... Technologic. I don't know. That, that's that's my opinion. Uh, the other thing is that there may be some pre- preparation for a cataclysm of some kind that they. That's certainly a factor. Suspect. So, what do you think about that idea? Uh, I well, the fact that they built the first one for that reason uh, would indicate that ones that True. have been built since then are for that same reason also. But I don't think exclusively for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose we could talk all evening about this, but uh, we, we will never come to any particular conclusion. I guess it's, uh, in a way, I guess, Ben, it would be like our old friend Joe Ferrier, who uh, Mary may not have heard of, but he was very famous in this area in the 60s through, well, really quite recently, a few years ago, when he, when he passed on. He was a UFO expert and a talk show host on this station, very well loved, and um, so. that sort of thing. So he always... He always would end his shows with "Keep watching the skies." Right? Indeed. So in this case, keep watching the mountains, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Have there been? I wanted to ask you, have there been any disappearances in that yes. area recently? Um, none that I'm personally aware of. I've read some things that people sometimes disappear in the uh, in some of the parks and stuff, but quite mysteriously. I have not gotten into that. I've only read about it from other sources. Okay, so so let's kind of come full circle now to where we began the show. We were talking about the Cherokee little people. Let's get back to talking about the uh, the natives, uh, which I, bl- I believe they, they do. They refer to themselves as the Salagi people uh, rather than Cherokee. That being a European name, I, I don't. The people around here just call themselves Cherokee. Okay. Or Enos, right? Uh, or Enos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in any case, uh, what I was going to ask was, was uh, what do they say today about all this? I mean, do they still talk about modern sightings of the little people? And you said there were some. Uh, do they talk about the sky ships still uh, in the, their modern folklore? Uh, I know there's a, there's, a, there's a continuity between all the, the folklore and that in that ethos uh, or do they talk about any kind of secret bases I mean what, what, are, what are the Cherokees saying today about these legends okay. other than to report their, his, their history uh, um, that's wide open let me see how I can narrow that one down okay well no uh, it's, it's alright I didn't mean to put you on the spot well no, we did I guess we always do that <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the Cherokee just accept it uh, as a part of their reality both in the past and in the present um, I had a, a job here at one time where I was uh, uh, had a lot of contact with the local people, and they began to trust me over time. And so the Cherokees don't necessarily open up to people immediately. No, that's true. And so they began to trust me. And once I did that book, they really became more open with me. And one of the very, very first uh, lectures that I did about the Cherokee Little People Were Real book was at the library on the uh, reservation, and uh, it, there were a number of people who were uh, 
had had responsible positions in Cherokee who were Cherokee, and they began to tell about seeing little people in different places. But that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done that book and if I hadn't mm-hmm. already um, opened up the door to Cherokee so they would trust me. They're yeah, not going to yeah. just tell a white person and you know run the risk of being laughed at. Th- th- that's that's happened to me a number of times with. Aboriginals in Australia and different the Cree in Quebec and different tribes here and there. I've been honored by their conference, as a matter of fact, as I'm sure you were. So, it, what do you what what is what is your next step in this research? I mean, how are you going to pursue the secret base thing? Are you going to pursue further books on? Well, the, on the thing that's on the horizon right now is uh, we just sent in a, a sample of what we believe to be Bigfoot hair. Oh. Uh, to be DNA tested, and with any luck, we'll get some results on that, be- hopefully by the 1st of August. Um, if anybody's interested in the story, uh, the title of it is um, Valley of the Bigfoot and the Little Alien Dude, and it's quite an involved... <laughs> that's the title? Yeah, that's the title, and that's if cool. you go to the, the homepage of the Skyships Over Cashers website and look on the right-hand side and scroll down, uh, you'll see the... Uh, the title and click on it and you can learn about it. In that story, I had a, a photograph of the hair and because of that, somebody contacted me from uh, California uh, and was willing to put up the money to have it DNA tested because it looked that authentic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the story is quite involved, uh, more than what we could get into now, but uh, uh, the Bigfoot uh, actually uh, uh, began to do writings and stuff in a house. The people that own the property where all this has been happening actually have moved off the property. But uh, uh, the people actually disturbed the Bigfoot because there was a, a pond on the on their land and it needed to be re, you know repaired. And they were using a jackhammer and suddenly the jackhammer went into something very hollow. Uh, and there's there's caves all around this this valley and. Then they began to have uh, Bigfoot problems, and it's speculated that they busted into uh, one of their homes. And it started out after that that they had these big uh, handprints all over their cars, and then they would be all over their doors, and then they eventually uh, went into the houses. And after the people actually moved out, uh, the Bigfoot began to... uh, uh, writing and stuff on the wall with an old Sharpie pen. Writing? Uh, yeah, and we've got photos of the writing. What, oh, it started what? out as scribbles, uh-huh. and we actually think that that, uh, that those writings and stuff were probably done by juveniles because many of them were uh, like well, beneath the uh, light switches, so I think a big, a large Bigfoot would probably not squat down to do that. Well, that sounds like another show right there, <laughs> So, yeah, but if anybody's interested, you know? Uh, you know, we're always following uh, interesting stories on the website, and yep. so the next thing that we'll break will be on the website before it's anywhere else. It, it is. I, I have looked through the site. It is very well done. It's uh, easy to navigate, and there are lots of interesting stories. But just before we run out of time here, Mary, uh, we've covered everything as as we usually do in a in, a, in an active area such as this or a flap area, as we call. Are there lots of ghosts, quote-unquote, in poltergeist reports as well as all these other things we've talked about? Uh, not really. 
Really? Really? Okay. That that surprises us. That's really yeah, surprising. I'm not saying that's not happening. Yeah. But we have people coming forward telling us about everything that we've been talking about. But uh, I have not been getting uh, major ghost stories. Well, compared to everything else, it sounds like ghosts. Is, uh, that sounds like ghost activity is more normal there. <laughs> well, perhaps they have their hands full with all this other stuff yeah. that's going on. You know, that's the thing. Very good. Okay. Well, Mary, it's been a very interesting conversation. And tell tell me again the name of that. Devil's what that you were talking about? It's called the uh, Devil's Courthouse. Devil's it's Courthouse. It's on the elbow bend of the Blue Ridge Parkway. Okay. And that is close to uh, the the hub of that city-sized uh, base uh, because the entrance to that base is just to the west of uh, that rock formation. Yeah, well, we're almost out of time, but wh- do you know why it got the, na- the name Devil? Somehow the name Devil was attached to it. Did you know that was there a reason for that in folklore? Um, yeah, I think there's kind of a profile that looks a bit devilish. Oh, okay. All right, interesting. Okay, well, that's it. Mary, thanks so much. Great conversation. I might be in touch off the air, but thanks so much. And, and right. good luck uh, with your books, and uh, we'll, have, we'll keep the link on our site. Thank you so much. Very good. Okay, Mary A. Joyce, everybody. North Carolina legends. Very, very interesting stuff. Hmm. Okay, so we're down to the wire here. Indeed we are, and we have many, many announcements because we're doing quite a bit over the next couple of months. Starting uh, on September 5th, that's a Saturday, we're scheduled to speak once again at the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire. Uh, The town-wide event is organized by the Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities, and uh, other speakers include the great Stanton Friedman, along with Richard Dolan, uh, Kathleen Marden, Bob Schroeder, and Jennifer Stein. You can visit www.exeterufofestival.com. Dot org and it is a great time. The whole town shows up for it. It's it's become like a staple to the community. It is. It's a lot of fun. It's become a real um, staple of the community. And uh, of course, th- this is I believe the fiftieth anniversary of oh, the is it really? incident at Exeter. Is it fiftieth? Wow, sixty-five. Yeah. And of course, it's also the site of the nineteen sixty-one, uh, sixty-one or sixty-two uh, Betty and Barney Hill incident, the first uh, alien abduction incidents. Uh, generally so-called, that was recorded uh, widely by the media. Indeed. And uh, Kathy Martin, our good friend and uh, frequent guest, uh, is there ni- the niece of Barney and Betty Hill, and uh, she'll be speaking there as well this year, so it should be great. On Thursday, September 24th, we will join William J. Hall, author of the forthcoming The Haunted House Diaries, which is about this very case in Litchfield County, Connecticut, we always talk about. And that will be a joint book event with us and him at uh, Hank's Restaurant in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Hank says, great food, and it will be a lot of fun. And Ben and I have signed a, signed a contract with Schiffer Publishing for our new book, the first one we've written together, Cosmic Journey. And uh, they're talking about 2017 as a release date. Hopefully it will be sooner, but we'll see. Indeed. Uh, on Saturday, October 10th, we'll once again be uh, speakers at the Greater New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Other speakers will include uh, some renowned experts uh, familiar to our listeners. That includes uh, Richard Dolan, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, and William J. Hall, whose new book on the Litchfield County, Connecticut case that we're working on and uh, talking about releasing, or, or we're actually talking about, uh, will be released by them. Uh, will be released by then, I should say. Uh, you can visit www. Uh, or http colon uh, forward slash forward slash susantom. dot com forward slash ufo. html, or you can just go to our website because we do have a link there. I do believe. Yes, yes, we will have a banner that there is. for that. Yes, that uh, is much <coughs> less complicated. And don't forget to visit our show website behindtheparanormal. dot com. Where you can find links 
to all of those great places and things uh, where you can find nearly 600 free podcasts of past shows from both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And just wanted to point out, point out for those of you who are concerned about his well-being, uh, Mark D'Antonio, a very good friend. He is a real scientist. He's an astronomer, and he's also the Mutual UFO Networks. He's an open-minded scientist. Mutual UFO Networks National Director of Audio and Video Analysis. Uh, he was, as a matter of fact, I was waiting for him in Litchfield County to do a drone run over some place we have suspicions about, and he, he didn't he didn't show, which is not like him, and it turned out that he had serious medical issues, and he was, um, a few weeks later, I saw him at the rehab hospital in New Britain, Connecticut, and he's done very, very well in recovering uh, from a minor stroke, and uh, he's he's back home already, and we thought he'd still be in the hospital, but thank you for all who have asked about him, and please say some prayers for him. He's doing very well, however, and we're very happy to say that he's back among the living. So, Mark D'Antonio. So you can find my books, uh, Turning Home, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, and Rhode Island and Genial History, which is probably of no interest to this audience, and uh, on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble Nook. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I will sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also, our websites, uh, you'll find direct uh, links to the charities we have mentioned already. And there are two new books just released by Global Communications, Timothy Green Beckley's publishing company in New York, uh, that would be of interest to our listeners. One is The Bell Witch Project, which contains that story, very famous case, and also a few contributions by myself on historic paranormal cases here in New England. And of uh, special interest to folks here in the WON 1240 listening area is another Beckley book, UFO Repeaters, with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, whom we mentioned earlier in the show, talk show host here on ON for 50 years or more, and also a 1960s UFO expert. Both books are available on Amazon.com, or use the links at the online bookstore at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. Okie doke, and next Monday, that's uh, July 20th, we will welcome author Donna Mebin. Is that how it's pronounced? Yes. I wasn't sure if it was Mebin or not. You never know. It's not uh, It's not even spelled correctly because I, you'd have trouble pronouncing it. That's a good point. Thank yes. you. Uh, for a look at uh, what losing a child will do to you and how to recover from it. And there are paranormal aspects to that. So uh, we leave you this evening with a thought from British author E.M. Forster. We must be willing to let go of the life we have planned so we can have the life that is waiting for us. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.